new conversation today, but before we do that, why don't we just pray and then uh, we'll jump in. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we once again are so grateful to be here and to be present with you. And we just want to thank you for the opportunity that we have to be here at Sheridan and to worship here in this school. Um, we count it as a privilege to be here. And we ask God that your spirit would remain here in a, in a special way and encounter these students as they come back to school this week, God. Um, we thank you for the partnership we have with Sheridan and for the different partners we have in this neighborhood. God, we pray for your blessing upon Claire Housing and the Little Kitchen Food Shelf and the Sheridan Story and uh, the many partners that we have through our missional communities, God. May you be doing a work in and through us as we join you in your work in the world. And today as we open up your word and listen to what you have to say to us, God, I just pray that you'd speak to each person here in the way that they need to be spoken to by you. And I just pray that you wouldn't let me get in the way of what you want to say to these people that you love so much. And we thank you again that we get this opportunity to, to be here and to worship you freely. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we just finished a conversation called Do Not Be Afraid. And uh, we had some sermon illustrations last week that I decided we should keep out because this conversation we're about to start in a lot of ways is like a part two of that conversation, like like a semicolon, and then we're starting the next thing. <laughs> so they, they go together, and I think you'll see a little bit of what that means because fear is a very powerful force in our lives. We talked about that over these last few weeks. But we also talked about how because of its power that it has, uh, we really need the power of God and Jesus to come in and break the chains of fear in our lives. And I've heard many stories over these last few weeks from many of you. We heard some actually up at the Winter Getaway as well of how you've been inviting God into that in your life in new ways and how a lot of us, that is going to be a consistent prayer for a while to ask God to come in and to break some of the chains of fear, recognizing maybe some of the motives that are actually motivated by fear versus love and uh, a sense of identity and calling and purpose. And so in a lot of ways, we're, we're moving into that, okay? So we call this conversation, Pick Your Battles. Pick Your Battles. And when I, when I thought about the name of this conversation, it reminded me of something I saw on Instagram lately. Any Instagram fans here? I like Instagram. I like pictures, so that's, it's fun. There is a really popular hashtag right now on Instagram called hashtag horrible parent. Has anybody seen this? So I'm not a parent, but I have a, a very precocious nephew. His name's Amos, if you ever see him. He's the cutest little punk that's ever lived. And um, so parents, I think, as a coping mechanism with the, the toddler years, I think there's, it's hashtag horrible parent and then hashtag toddler problems, okay? And I think this has a lot to do with picking your battles. Um, my understanding from listening to my brother and sister-in-law is the number one thing with dealing with a toddler is picking your battles. And it turns out toddlers don't pick their battles well at all. And that has resulted in, a, I think, a coping mechanism hashtag on Instagram. So I brought some pictures of this that they just cracked me up. I've been following it, okay? So let's put these up here, Adam. So the first one, this says, uh, I forgot to say goodbye this morning when I left for work. And that's the picture of her little girl. You can see, the, can you see how it kind of is cathartic, just to put that out there. All right, this, the next one says, today uh, I served milk in the pink cup and it promptly ruined my toddler's life. Okay, that's good. What's the next one? Stopped her from playing with knives. All right. So that you see what I'm saying, that they're not picking their battles well. All right, next, next one. I'm a horrible parent because I wouldn't get her a Mountain Dew Baja Blast, and then we forgot her baby blanket. I can't imagine a Baja Blast is ever a good idea for a toddler, right? All right, what's the next one? The struggle is real. I cut the banana the wrong way. And then this last one was one of my favorites just because of the face. I asked him not to bite me. You can't see it super well, but the kid just looks 
like it's a total disaster that he can't bite his parent. Um, so toddlers have a hard time picking their battles, don't they? Let's just, people who have raised a toddler, currently raising a toddler, do you think they have a hard time picking their battles? All right, so that was just a little cathartic moment for you. I'm not suggesting that you put your kid's face on the internet. That's up to you. Totally up to you. However, um, it, the struggle is real. And then we're trying to figure out with these little ones, like how do we, they're not picking their battles well. And then, you know, let's be honest, we don't always pick our battles well. And uh, then we're getting into this power struggle with our kids. And I, I bring this up partly because it's funny and partly because I think at times in our lives, we're kind of like spiritual toddlers a little bit when it comes to picking our battles, okay? And what I mean by that is there are things in our lives all the time, battles that we're facing, uh, conflicts, uh, struggles, situations with people, situations with different groups of people who are very different than us. There's conversations that happen at work. There's toddler battles. There's battles with your teenage kids. There's battle with your adult children. Man, that's a whole other thing, right? Once they become adults and then we're trying to figure that thing out, that's special. We have a lot of battles in life, and what I want to suggest is that at times we have uh, trouble picking our battles as well. It doesn't mean that there's not times when we do have some battles that need to be worked through in our lives. Um, I remember I, I used to live in community before I got married. I think I lived with roommates, uh, I think 39 roommates in my life. And uh, that's a lot, just so you know. And anybody have more than 39 roommates? There's maybe a couple people here. How many do you have? 43. All right. You got me on that one. 39 roommates, and I incorrectly picked a battle with every single one of them at one point. You know what I'm saying? This is what people do. But what we want to talk about in this three-week conversation called Pick Your Battles is that in our lives, sometimes picking our battles turns out that we are forgetting who the true enemy actually is. We're getting to a spot where we're so confronted with the battles that we face in our interpersonal lives, uh, in the political spheres, in our work lives, with our families, that we forget that what's really going on is a deeper spiritual battle that in a lot of ways is unseen, yet its ramifications are very real, and we're very much picking our battles based on the ones that are right in front of our face. And in some ways, forgetting some of the deeper realities that are going on, the spiritual realm in a lot of ways is at war. There's a battle. There's sometimes people use the term spiritual warfare, uh, spiritual battle, uh, battles of darkness and light. There's different ways to talk about it. It's very mysterious. It's hard to understand. But I want to suggest today in these next few weeks that I think it's very real. And I don't think we have to understand every little detail about it to acknowledge that it's real and to deal with some of the ramifications that it plays in our lives. Because if we don't pay attention to that, we might end up picking the battles in not so great way, <laughs> kind of like the toddlers pick their battles. Okay, so I'm going to give you a definition of this. I'm going to use probably the term spiritual warfare most of the time. That's just what I've come to call it in my own life. Um, so just talking about this reality, and I'm trying to take it from something that maybe some of you have had experience and you've read about it. Others of you are going, whoa, this is a new thing. Don't worry. You're not alone. We're just going to talk about it today together and kind of in like a little bit of a 101 way so we get some kind of, of groundwork laid as we go into the next two weeks, okay? So here's my definition, working definition, I guess. There's probably multiple. Spiritual warfare, the battle happening in the spiritual realm between forces of good and evil, God and Satan, light and darkness. You can use some different ways of talking about that. This battle is spiritual, yet it has tangible implications for the metaphysical realities that we face in our lives as we participate in the coming kingdom of God around us. So I know that's a lot. Just leave it up there for a minute. 
It's tangible. So it's spiritual, yet it's tangible, which I use the phrase metaphysical then, right? So it's, it's got implications in the spiritual realm, but also in our physical lives. And uh, that's, I think, what makes it so mysterious and hard to get our heads around. Yet, this is a theme that is so consistent throughout the whole meta narrative or throughout the whole scriptures uh, that we see. And so we look at the story and we see this idea that there's a, a cosmic, a spiritual, a, a metaphysical reality that's happening that we sometimes can't see or even feel that's happening. And that, I think, if you see something consistent throughout the whole Bible, we have to pay attention to it. And we have to say, how do we understand it better so that we can engage with it in a healthy way in our lives? So I'm going to start with one preface. Um, I do this a lot. This is kind of how my brain thinks. I think about like a, a country road and you're driving down this country road and you know country roads don't really have like a nice side. You got like a ditch, right? Ditch. And when it's snowy like this, you could get stuck in that ditch. And I think in like a smaller country road, the, the idea that you could easily fall into one ditch or the other is pretty easy. And so I think of that kind of metaphor that when it comes to spiritual warfare and talking about the battles that we face that are unseen, there's kind of two ditches that I see us go into a lot, okay? One ditch is the ditch of, you know, I don't see this, I don't feel this, it's probably not real, and if it is, it doesn't really matter, and I'm just going to not deal with that because it's kind of creepy and freaking me out a little bit. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if it freaks you out, but some of you, I'm looking at your face and you're like, this is kind of freaking me out. That ditch is pretty easy to fall into because it's really hard to wrap our heads around it and it feels mysterious. And sometimes it just doesn't feel real. Okay, so that's a ditch that's easy to go into. So we're trying to stay on the road. The other ditch that we can sometimes fall into, I think, when it comes to this conversation is being like obsessed with it. Like, oh man, I need to know everything that's ever been written about angels and demons and spiritual warfare and all the movies about it and all the books and all the things. I think that's really unhelpful as well. I actually think that's something that we see in Scripture. There's like an idea that we need to understand it and step towards it, but not be obsessed with it, not be overly consumed with it, certainly not be stuck in fear about it, but to acknowledge it. So to stay on the road and to not go into either of these ditches, I think, we need to approach it with a sense of, of what can we learn, what can we understand, how can we approach this in a healthy way, not be overly concerned or under-concerned. Does that make sense? Nod with me if you get what I'm saying. All right, cool. So the goal of the next few weeks is to, to stay on the road and to say, hey, we're not going to get overly concerned, but let's make sure we're not under-concerned either. And some of you have probably been on either of these sides at different times in your life. And so we're going to kind of go for the middle ground here. So here's kind of the most important thing I want you to hear over the next few weeks, and I will put it up here on the screen. We have to pick our battles because the war that is unseen is where the most is at stake for the kingdom of God and thus for our lives. We have to pick our battles because... This unseen war, this unseen battle, is where there's a lot. The most is at stake for us as people who want to join what God's doing in the kingdom of God. And so there's a lot at stake for us in this way. So picking our battles means let's choose to think about what the spiritual battles are that are influencing our lives, okay? So like I said, we're going to go with kind of a one-on-one look at this. But what I want to say, too, is that we know that God's power is more powerful than the spirits of darkness. And we have authority. We're going to talk about that a lot over these next few weeks. Um, we're going to take this kind of one-on-one approach. And because of that, we're not going to necessarily pick apart some things like the little details about angels and demons and the things. that there's, there's things written about that here in the scriptures. But I think that turns into more of like an interesting theological conversation rather than like a super helpful one. So just so you know, we're going to stay more with these overarching themes and realities that impact our daily lives. 
And so today, um, while I could talk to you through, like, here's all these places, we see this in the Bible, there has kind of become one spot in Scripture that really gives us that basic, like, 101 launching pad to have this conversation. And it's provided by the Apostle Paul, who was an early church leader, who was writing to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6. So if you have a Bible, you can pull that out. We'll have it up here on the screen. Um, it's consistent throughout all of Scripture, but you see Paul, who one of his gifts is kind of summing things up a little bit. And so he kind of sums up this spiritual battle that we're facing here in Ephesians 6. Some of you, this might seem familiar to you when I read it. So he's, this, Ephesians is a, called a prison epistle or a prison letter. And that's because when Paul was writing it, he was actually in prison. And Ephesians 6 is actually the end of this letter. And he's written this letter to the church in Ephesus, this group of people who are living through some very difficult times. The people in Ephesus were going through serious persecution. People were being stoned. People were being killed because of their faith in Jesus. People were going through um, some pretty significant um, oppression. The Jewish people were very oppressed within the Roman system and some different forces of the world that were really pressing on them. They were having experiences like thinking that they'd paid all their taxes and then someone would come around and say, pay more taxes or this will not be good for you. And they would then not know what they were going to do for food and to, to care for their household. Things like that. They were living in very uncertain times with a very oppressive government in ways that, they were, that were completely out of their control that I think for a lot of us here in the U.S. it would be really hard for us to imagine. But we know there's people in our world today who experience some of what they were experiencing. So here's their leader, one of their leaders, in prison writing a letter to them. And what so many scholars say about the book of Ephesians, the letter to the church in Ephesus, is it's one of the most encouraging letters that Paul ever wrote. Can you imagine that? The most encouraging words come out of him while he's sitting literally in chains writing to these people. And so you're going to hear that as I read this. Um, think about, picture him in prison uh, being given an opportunity, which probably was rare, to write a letter and have it sent to his community that he loves. Um, so let me read this for you. Like I said, Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. And it's a significant part, but just listen to the words. Imagine where Paul is coming from and imagine what it would be like to hear these words as people who are feeling probably pretty hopeless and pretty discouraged, okay? So he's, he's finishing the letter. So it starts in verse 10 with finally. So he said a lot to them and he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so what, that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert be always and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me, you can imagine he'd like some prayer, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. 
Okay, so I think that here in this story, this end of this letter, speaking into the story of the church in Ephesus, we have just a few things we can pull out that give us this kind of foundation for how we look at this. And in fact, we're going to look at this passage next week. Some of you have perhaps looked at the different parts of the armor of God. Um, We'll talk about that a little bit next week. But what I want to look at is this context here of what Paul is saying. Because I think he's giving us some some practical things to say, okay, if we're going to acknowledge that we want to stay on the road and acknowledge that there is a spiritual battle that we need to try to understand in certain ways, not be preoccupied with or under preoccupied with, right? What are some things? So I actually have eight things. We're not going to take a long time on any of them, but I'm hoping that these will help you just lay the groundwork as we go forward, okay? So the first, and, it, and it just comes right out of the scripture, okay? So in verse 10, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Notice in that one little sentence that the strength is from God. When we're approaching this reality, some of us have this impetus to want to muster up all of our own human strength. It's not going to help, help in this situation. Our strength has to come from God and our connection and our relationship with God. Sometimes, many de- times, many days, I, I do not feel, I don't like feel like connecting with God. I don't feel like uh, to having some time of prayer. I just don't feel it. I'm not feeling it. Maybe some of you can resonate with that. But when I think about this reality, it kind of helps me realize it doesn't really matter if I'm feeling it. It's not really about if it feels good or if it's what I want to do. It's about being prepared for what is happening maybe that I can't see. And that's been helpful for me in my life to say, if I'm going to be strong in God's mighty power, then I need to connect with God in the way that makes sense for me, which is pretty different for all of us. We're all very different. So what is that for you? How do you reconnect with God? Maybe you feel like you haven't connected with God for a long time. What would be some experiments to try to do that again in your life? So the first thing, be strong. The second thing right there in verse 11, I want to suggest is that the devil, Satan, whatever, in, my, in this one that I just read, they use the word devil, uh, the, the dark, spirits of darkness is on the defense, okay? The, the, the enemy is on the defense. Here's why I think this, based on this passage. It says that uh, we need to take our stand against the devil's schemes. The devil, the, 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 this enemy is scheming, okay? Coming up with ways to try to do something, which is to thwart the plans that God already has. This is super important, you guys. If you look at the story of God, God is on offense, the enemy's on defense, We are on God's side, so we are not on defense. We are on offense. But just like in a really tragic football game, sorry, somebody's like, whoa, trigger warning. Um, Just like in a really tragic football game, if you are on offense, what happens? The defense responds, and they don't want to let this happen. Listen, the enemy's on defense. God's kingdom is among us. Jesus says, the kingdom of God is near. My kingdom is coming, and someday it's going to come fully. And that puts the enemy on defense. But it's tricky because sometimes it feels like the enemy's on offense. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I say the phrase devil schemes, and you're like, let me tell you about some devil schemes in my life right now. Because you feel like that. You feel like every time you get up, you get knocked back down again. I'm looking at you. I know some of the stories. And we can talk back and forth about how, well, maybe that illness or maybe that situation isn't, is that spiritual warfare or not? I don't know, but let's assume that evil has some play in that stuff. The enemy is on defense and trying to stop the things that God is doing. And I'm going to say this over and over again because I think it's super important. The enemy cannot stop God's mission. The enemy can only frustrate it. God wants to do things in and through your life. God wants to do things in your neighborhood, your workplace, in your family in this school, in our city. 
And when we see these brokenness happening around us, that is, I've heard people say this before, I think it's kind of funny. It's the enemy having a temper tantrum. When we have something awesome, like uh, we get to host the Super Bowl, cool. And then we have all this trafficking coming into our city. We say like, no, (laughs) in the name of Jesus, we want to be a part of that not happening because that's the enemy trying to thwart what God's trying to do in the world. We're having an opportunity to join God so we're on offense with God so we can expect some uh, opposition, just like the poor Vikings got. That just didn't go well. Okay, keep moving. You can tell it's just, it's right there for me. Number three, if it has flesh and blood, it's not the true enemy. If it has flesh and blood, it is not the true enemy. Did you hear that in there? Pretty clear. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities and the powers of this dark world against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So you hear in scripture a lot about this idea of an earthly and heavenly realm. There's a lot. It's pretty mystical. What does that mean? We don't have to understand it all to know that in between the earthly and heavenly realm, in both places, there are spiritual forces that are at war. And I'm sorry, you don't have to read the news for more than 30 seconds to see that, in my opinion. The brokenness that's happening, that's not from God. That's not God's hope for the world. That's not God's plan. It comes from the spiritual battle that's happening. And someday God will make all things new and there'll be no more crying, no more pain, no more suffering. But we're living in this time where God's coming presence, the kingdom of God is amongst us, but it's not fully here yet. And that's our future hope. So we get confused sometimes and we look around and we decide our enemy is what we can see and what we can touch and feel and it has flesh and blood. But listen, that's not the true enemy. This is super important, you guys. Some of you are like, listen, you haven't met my, my boss. <laughs> or you don't know the enemy that I'm facing inside my family right now. And I get that. But Jesus particularly makes it pretty clear about the flesh and blood enemies, doesn't he? We're supposed to love them. That's it. There's not a lot others to say about that. Jesus, in, in regards to the flesh and blood, the enemies that have flesh and blood, people, we are to love them. Love is the only response. Now, in the spiritual realm, it's a different story. And this is why I think it can be so easy for us to get confused about picking our battles because it's easier to pick the battles with the flesh and blood when here Paul is saying that's not who your battle's against. Can you see why Paul was saying that to the people at that time? Because they were facing flesh and blood enemies, weren't they? Who were literally taking their lives, taking their money, taking their resources, making life kind of a living hell for them. And so... Some of you know what that's like to feel like you are just, like I said, getting hit, getting knocked down, and some of it feels like it's coming from flesh and blood enemies. And Paul is saying to you, just like he was saying to them, he's saying, listen, that is not the true enemy. Don't forget who the real enemy is. So if we're going to be willing to not forget that, then number four, be prepared. In verse 13, he starts with the phrase, therefore. Paul uses that phrase a lot. And whenever he says, therefore, look at what he just said. Because he's saying, like, because of what I just said, therefore this. So he's saying, okay, if you're with me on this reality that there are spiritual forces that are happening that we don't even see, and that's where our true battle lies, not against other people that we're supposed to love in Jesus' name, no matter what, even if it's self-sacrificial, even if it hurts. If you're with me on that, therefore, I think you need to be prepared. Be prepared. And that's where this armor of God comes in. And um, I don't know about you, but I learned about the armor of God when I was a little kid. And uh, there is a depth to it that I think when you're a little kid, it needs to stay really concrete. But next week, we're going to unpack some 
of the real depth of what's going on in that analogy that Paul's giving, okay? So we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But I think that in, in that analogy lies the, the way in which we be prepared. So we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. Okay, the fifth thing. Notice that number of times Paul says, stand, stand firm, which is, I, I just decided to say, stand, don't flail, <laughs> okay? Um, when we're under pressure, when fear is taking control of us in our lives, we have a tendency to flail around, okay? Um, kind of like just swinging at anything that moves because we're scared. We're anxious. And some of you don't want to admit that uh, maybe you physically haven't been flailing, but emotionally and spiritually you have been a little bit. I know I have in some of these tense times. Here Paul says three different times, stand. And the important reality about standing is to recognize God is the one who's fighting for us. We are standing firm. When we talk about the armor next week, we'll talk about how it's not passive, yet we are standing, remembering that the true power is in who God is in our lives. We're prepared. We're ready. We're stepping into it. But we're not flailing around, <laughs> uh, just swinging at anything that moves, because this is God fighting for us, with us, leading us. And it's tempting to think when we're really in tough, overwhelming times, and we're kind of freaking out a little bit, that we have to flail around. But God's inviting us to stand firm. And so if you're thinking, man, I don't like talking about this stuff. It makes me anxious. We're talking about standing firm. And God does that with us. And God goes out ahead of us. And the battle is fought by God. Number six. Here's where we really participate. And I know, you guys, I know it can seem passive, but it's really not. And it's prayer. You look at this in uh, verse 18. Pray with the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert. Always keep on praying. And then pray for me. Okay? Pray, pray, and then pray some more. You guys, this doesn't mean you have to find this perfect prayer closet or it has to be quiet or anything. But when your heart feels that anxiety, we pray. I do not believe that prayer only changes us. I believe that it changes the spiritual reality. That's my theology on that. We can talk more about that later. I think it does change us. But man, I'm telling you something. I wouldn't pray if it was just about changing me. Nah, probably not. I really think it changes the spiritual realm. Because God decided to do that. God decided to orchestrate the world. You see that in Scripture multiple times. When God's people pray, something happens. When you pray, you're agreeing with God about certain things. And I don't understand why all of our prayers are not always answered immediately. Some of that has to do with the spiritual battle we'll talk about next week and what's going on that we don't see. But it matters when we pray. It will matter next Sunday when we stand together in Jesus' name and pray about what's happening in our city because of the human trafficking. I believe that it will change dynamics. We won't always know. We're not going to get like a, a report, spiritual report card from, part card from God about that. I don't know. But I believe it changes something. I really do. And so when we feel overwhelmed, we recognize that we pray, importantly, in the name of Jesus. You'll notice at Mill City, we always pray in the name of Jesus because we believe that's where our authority comes from. Anybody who has Jesus in their life has authority to cast out the, the evil forces that may or may not be present. And in my opinion, if you think they might be, let's pray. If you think there might be, then let's pray. If you're little kids, I've talked with families about this, if your little kids or yourself are having a reoccurring nightmare, sure, we can talk about brain chemistry and why we have nightmares. There's lots of things there. If it is something that has to do with the spiritual realm, let's pray about it. Let's teach our little kids to pray. 
Let's teach them to pray and say, Jesus, I'm scared. I pray in your name that there would be nothing that could hurt me. In Jesus' name. I know some of you have taught your kids that, and it's been a game changer for them. Not just because it changes them. I think it changes the spiritual realm. Those little kids who trust in Jesus have authority. Think about that for a second. And so do you. Pray, pray, and then pray some more. In Jesus' name. We'll talk more about that in the next couple of weeks. Okay, seven. Fear happens. You notice Paul asking that you'd pray two times that he would be fearless. Why is he praying that he needs to be fearless? Because the guy's scared. He's in prison. He's, I mean, we were talking about chains of fear metaphorically. The guy's physically in chains. He says he's an ambassador in chains. Think about that for a minute. Of course he's scared. Of course he's afraid to say what he feels like God's telling him to say sometimes. So if you feel afraid and you feel scared, you're in good company because that's how one of the early leaders of the church felt. That's how all the leaders of your church here feel sometimes. And so we pray for fearlessness, just like we've been talking about these last couple of weeks. Even Paul's asking for that. Uh, one of my, my um, mentors and professors that I've had in my life, his name is Dr. Paul Eddy, and he, a friend from Bethel, he has done a lot of re research on this. I'll talk about some of his thoughts later next week too. But he says 99%, in his opinion, 99% of spiritual warfare happens in the eight inches between your ears. Okay? He's saying that a lot of this is a battle for our minds and our hearts. The lies, the, the fear, the things that hold us back that are actually not talking about uh, demons and things like that. He's not saying that's not real. We'll talk about that. But when we get preoccupied with some of that, he's like, that's like the 1%. Let's be preoccupied and, and fo focus on the 99% of it that happens in our minds and hearts. That's where, why it's important to pray about the fearlessness. We're going to spend a lot of time on that next week, okay? He says, uh, Paul says that, sorry, two Pauls, Dr. Paul Eddy says that um, the, the things that happens in the, the eight inches between our ears, he says, lies about yourself, lies about God, and lies about other people. Think about that for a second and how much brokenness comes from those lies. Lies about who you are, whose you are, and who you are to be in relationship to other people. It really thwarts what God's trying to do. All right, finally, number eight, what I said before. Like I said, I'm going to say this a few times. The enemy can frustrate the mission but can't stop it. The enemy can frustrate the mission but can't stop it. You hear this in what Paul's saying when he's saying, I'm an ambassador in chains. Seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? An ambassador shouldn't be stuck. <laughs> an ambassador goes out and has a mission and is trying to accomplish it. But right at that moment, he's an ambassador in chains. Talk about frustrating the plan. That's not what he was trying to do. The, end, uh, the, the destination was not a, a prison cell for Paul in this situation. And some of you, spiritually speaking, emotionally speaking, maybe in your jobs, maybe in your family, you're like, I, I feel like I'm in like a prison cell. I'm, I'm trapped. I'm kind of stuck. That's a frustration of what God's trying to do in your life. And there's an enemy who wants to frustrate it. Because honestly, I think the enemy has given up on winning the war. The enemy has given up on being able to take all of our hearts from God. But if the enemy can kind of frustrate it and get it to be really tough and really hard, that's good enough, kind of. And that's where a lot of us find ourselves. And so in a lot of ways, if we are stepping into what God's calling us to in our lives, if we're joining what God's doing in the world, then we can expect to have some of this resistance and some of this, if we're in the opposition, we can expect that response. I heard somebody say once, if you're not getting hit, then maybe you're not in the game. So sometimes we're going to get hit. We're going to feel that battle raging around us. 
But we have to pick our battles because the war that is unseen is where the most is at stake for the kingdom of God and for our lives, like I said. We'll talk about these next couple of weeks even deeper. Um, so I know there's a lot of you who have lots of different experiences. Some of you are like, I can tell you some stories about spiritual warfare. Others of you are like, I, don't, I still might don't think it's real. That's okay. We're going to keep talking about it a little bit and what it means for us in our lives. Um, I want to let you know again that the Kai Highs have opened up their home uh, every first Tuesday from 8 to 9. I just keep checking, Trevor, right? 8 to 9 p.m. The next one is uh, the 6th of February. And they're going to be talking about fear and praying about this stuff. You are not alone. If you need that information, just email us, info at millcitychurch.com. We'd love for you to join in any, Tuesday, any first Tuesday, but particularly this next one. You're not alone. We're going to take communion. We're going to do some more worship. You guys, um, worship and uh, communion and prayer, these are ways that we battle. These are ways that even though we can't see it, we are participating in uh, fighting for, for the spirit of light, for the Holy Spirit. We're joining in what God is doing. Why is communion something that helps battle with us? Let me tell you why, in my opinion. There's probably a lot of reasons. When we come and we say this is the blood and the body representing what Jesus has done for us, his body was broken for us, his blood was shed for us, so that he conquered death and thus conquered fear. What we're doing is reminding ourselves about the value and the identity that God's given us to say, I would do that for you. It reminds you who you are. It reminds you whose you are. And when we come to this together, it reminds us that we are doing that in unity because of what God's Spirit does in our lives. So it reminds us of who we are in relationship to each other. Do you see how that's fighting back? That's, that's standing firm together? It's not just a ritual, you guys. I believe that God's Spirit is present in a special way when we do these things together, when we sing together. It's not that God's Spirit isn't present with you wherever you go, but there's something special about when we're together. There's something powerful about that. We do this together, even in our homes with just a few of us in our missional communities and here this morning. So I'm going to invite you to, to join us in this. We'll have the worship team come up. If you're, if you're visiting with us, if you are someone who's seeking after Jesus in your life, you're welcome to take communion here. You don't have to be a member of our church. Um, what we do is we form a line here and here. We take the bread, which is gluten-free, dip it into the cup, and then uh, head back to your seat this way. And uh, if we have some members of the prayer team here, I know some of them are up north, Let's have some people on the walls here to pray for you. Maybe you're just feeling like, man, this was really uncomfortable. I'd really love someone to pray for me. Um, we would love to do that for you as we go into this time of worship. So let me pray right now, and then we'll move into that time together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we thank you for the promise that you are with us and that your name, Jesus, is the name that can break every chain, that you are more powerful than anything that the enemy could try to do. God, we declare that you are on, on offense and we are joining you on offense in Jesus' name. And so when we confront some of this resistance, some of this opposition, we are going to choose that we are going to continue to be in step with you in your kingdom. But some of us really need you in that right now. Some of us need you to grow our mind and our understanding. Some of, you, some of us need you to embolden and strengthen our hearts, God in your mighty power, as it says. And some of us, you need, we need you to bring peace and a sense that we can stay uh, firmly planted and firm, knowing that we are, are loved by you and protected by you. So God, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would protect every person here, every person up north as they're driving home today too. God, in Jesus' name, we pray for protection over their minds and hearts, but also their physical selves, their, their bodies, their vehicles, their homes, their families, their kids. 
we pray in Jesus' name for protection and that if there is any spirits of darkness that are not from you, that they would be gone in Jesus' name. We thank you, Jesus, that you gave us authority to do that. And we see story after story after story of your followers speaking that authority out and saying, be gone in Jesus' name. So we say that right now in this place, in our minds and hearts. God, give us courage to let people pray for us and to journey into this with each other. We thank you for what you've done for us. We thank you for taking our place on the cross and conquering death for us so that you could be alive in us so we have that authority over fear, over lies, over the, the, the things that hold us back. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I just want to start off the prayer this week that we're going to continue after the um, next Sunday for the Super Bowl and things that are going on and also the things going on in our lives. And listen, I know that everybody here, if you feel a little awkward saying amen or yes, you can do that in your heart. But I actually believe that when you do that in your heart, it is increasing the power of our prayers. So let, let me just do a short prayer. And if you agree with it, you can say yes, you can say amen, outside or inside, okay? God, we come to you as your people who have authority because you are the king of your kingdom and say in Jesus' name, we pray against the darkness that is coming to our city this week. In Jesus' name, we pray that your light would win these battles, that your light would prevail in Jesus' name. God, that your Holy Spirit would come into these dark corners of our city and your light would come and set people free in Jesus' name. And we ask, God, that you would do that work in us, that you'd start that work in us, that you would set us free in Jesus' name. We thank you that we can come to you continuously. We pray for courage and energy and strength to be persistent in these prayers, but we pray all these things in the authority that comes from your name, Jesus. And together we say amen. 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 Have a great week. We'll see you soon.